Good morning to you. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast. Hope you're having a good Tuesday morning. If you are joining us live, welcome. If you're catching it traditionally on one of our many outlets, well, thanks for picking it up. And we've got a lot going on. The NFL draft a couple days away, certainly going to hit on that. Give you what I think is going to happen in the top 10. I think the Bills have a couple big decisions coming up, not only with the draft, but Tremaine Edmonds, we'll talk about that as well. The New York Knicks, I, I this is a team that I've bashed for years. I'm not bashing them today. I, I, I'm barely going to mention James Dolan. How, how about that? There's a tease for you. And Major League Baseball, new rules, new problems, same problems. Last night was not a good night for Major League Baseball as far as replay. We'll talk about that as well. But I want to start with the draft. We are now two days away from the NFL draft. And, you know, this is one of those sort of sport events that has been created by the NFL. And it's going to be in Cleveland this year. Remember last year there were no bro hugs from the commissioner. The commissioner sat in his recliner and announced the, the, the picks in his basement. The best part about that, the commissioner was like the rest of us. You get 10 minutes, each team gets 10 minutes for the draft, and each team takes their full 10 minutes to make their pick. And we're all excited early on with the draft, but as the first round goes on, we start dragging and we start laying back. And, you know, it's, uh, who are they going to pick? The commissioner was like that, too. By the end, he's in his recliner, like, Jesus, just make a pick already. I got to go to bed. I got a 5.30 flight in the morning. It was it was great to see the commissioner be human. But this year it's going to be back to the commissioner bro-hugging these cats who get drafted, their, their big night. It's going to be in Cleveland, and there, there will be fans. I, it's another sign of us getting back to normal. I, I do like some of the guys aren't going, and Trevor Lawrence, the number one overall pick, isn't going. He wants to hang out with his friends and his, his fiancé and wife. His wife, I guess, they're married now, uh, in Clemson. And I don't blame him. This is the biggest night of this guy's life, to to go to a city just to walk across the stage, meet the commissioner, and then you're going to fly to the city that drafts you. I'd, I'd rather just be where I am, be with my family, have a great night, and then the next day end up going to the city that drafts me and get on with my career. And I give Trevor Lawrence... You know, you're going to hear this a lot over the next couple of years until he's really good in the NFL. He's not your typical quarterback when it comes to mindset. He's a lot like Andrew Luck. He's going to have other interests. He's going to be somewhat of a guy who I think is going to rub people the wrong way because he's intelligent. God forbid a guy think a little bit. And he's going to, in my opinion, turn the Jags around. You remember back when Mark Brunel... And Jimmy Smith and Fred Taylor had the Jags as a very good franchise. I really think this pick and this draft has a chance to revitalize that franchise. And I think the Jags are going to turn things around. I don't know how long it's going to take, but this is a franchise-saving draft, in my opinion, for the Jags. They, they will become a factor in the AFC in a couple of years with Urban Meyer on the sideline, setting up the culture. 
it's going to be fun to see. And then, of course, the Jets have Zach Wilson. And, you know, frankly, I don't have a whole lot of faith in the Jets. I do like Joe Douglas. I think he's got a good idea of what he's doing. I, I don't think that trading Sam Darnold was the best way to make this franchise better. But I do think this, that if you're GM, you're going to either get an extension or fired based on your quarterback. Well, you might as well make it your quarterback. And Zach Wilson now is going to be Joe Douglas quarterback. And that's what he's going to be judged on as he goes through his Jets tenure as general manager. Eventually, you got to stop the carousel, stop rehiring coaches and GMs every three years, get it right. Zach Wilson is right. Then Joe Douglas and Robert Sala, they will be the ones that stop the carousel. And, and then there's the third pick in the draft. And, you know, here's – we know one and two. And it, I mentioned the ten minutes in between picks. The third pick could be up five minutes into this draft. It won't happen. The Jags will be on the clock for eight minutes, even though we've known for months Trevor Lawrence is going to be the pick. The Jets, they'll be on the clock for nine minutes because it's – their chance to have everyone talk about their franchise. It's like a commercial. But we know the one and twos. Number three, we don't know. Yesterday, Kyle Shanahan made a comment that he doesn't know who's going to be on his roster this Sunday because he doesn't know if anyone in the world is going to be alive by this Sunday. A little vague, but I guess Jimmy Garoppolo will be traded by the weekend, so... Maybe New England doesn't get a quarterback in the draft because they end up with Jimmy G coming back to New England. I, I expect that to happen before this weekend is out. And I frankly don't think it's great news for Bills fans because, look, Cam Newton, there's a lot to like about Cam Newton. But his shoulder is shot, and I think as a quarterback, he is shot. Jimmy G coming back to New England, I think it gives them an opportunity to build around Garoppolo and put him in a, an environment that will be successful. So look for New England to make that move. But San Francisco, what do they do? Is it Mac Jones, Trey Lance, Justin Fields? Well, here's Dan Orlovsky of ESPN talking about who it's going to be, and I think he's right. So check this out. Hearing Sheffy's report, my thoughts go to the three most important words for the San Francisco 49ers up till 30, Thursday night are why and why not. You heard Sheffy say that they went up and made that trade with Mac Jones in mind. Why? Why is it Mac Jones? And then why now is it not Trey Lance? Why not Trey Lance? And that's kind of where this journey that they're on is going to lead them. And then flip it. Like, why is it going to be Trey Lance and why not Mac Jones? And I think that's their, what they're trying to figure out. And that's the question that these two, John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, have to answer. Why Mac Jones and why not Trey Lance? And I would say Mac Jones because his brain is so fast that he makes up for all these athletic deficiencies that everyone continues to talk about. And why not Trey Lance? Because you don't know. He, hasn't, he, he has not played in a game where he's had to be the guy. You just haven't seen that out of him. Why Trey Lance? Because you think you can develop him like Buffalo developed Josh Allen. Why not Mac Jones? Because you're scared of his lack of athleticism. Again, but two things that stood out to me when I heard Kyle Shanahan just talk two minutes ago. He said we wanted to go get a starting quarterback. 
Mm. Now, I would say right now Trey Lance is not a starting quarterback because he needs to develop a lot. He's not played enough. That stood out to me. If you're looking for a starting quarterback, it's Mac Jones. And then the second thing was, we're going to take the guy that we think best fits us. Again, if, we're, if Kyle Shanahan is looking for the guy that fits him the best, it's Mac Jones. So if it is Mac Jones, the Niners get their guy. And, and one thing, going through the draft the process, you constantly see highlights. And, and with the two Alabama wide receivers, Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell, expected to go top 10, maybe top 15 at the latest, you see a lot of their highlights as well. And obviously, Mac Jones, you see his highlights. One thing I notice about Mac Jones' highlights and the wide receivers from Alabama's highlights, ball placement is right where it should be. Mac Jones doesn't have a huge arm. He's not somebody overly athletic. Doesn't have a ton of experience. Remember, he's only one-year starter. Tua was the starter before him. But the ball placement is very good. The accuracy is very good. You don't see the wide receivers making circus catches all the time. You see them catching it in stride and breaking plays. So I don't know which of these quarterbacks is going to succeed and which is going to fail, but I do think there's an accuracy component to Mac Jones that's enticing for an NFL team. Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch are going to have to get this right. These two have basically been anointed. They, they've got huge contract extensions. You hear all the time about what an unbelievable offensive mind Kyle Shanahan is, and frankly, he is. And I'm going to give you a but. But if he's such a great offensive mind, one more running play in the Super Bowl, and we don't talk about 28-3 to anymore. That happened when he was the offensive coordinator in Atlanta. Didn't close it out because he continued to throw the football instead of run the ball. And he cost his team a Super Bowl, pure and simple. He's now had four years as the head coach of the San Francisco 49ers. You want to talk about the good? It was a 13-3 and year, the year that he went to the Super Bowl. Lost the Super Bowl, but 13-3. and The three other years... Six and ten, four and twelve, six and ten. He's had one season above five hundred. Now, his supporters will say, "Well, Jimmy G got hurt. Jimmy G, when he's there, they've been very good." Okay, every team struggles without a quarterback. Last year, the Dallas Cowboys lost Dak Prescott, and Mike McCarthy got railroaded into the point where many people were wondering if he'd get fired after only one year. You give guys that you like a lot more benefit of the doubt, and I think Kyle Shanahan is a guy that the media really likes. It gives him the benefit of the doubt. This is the biggest draft pick in his life because the Niners traded up to get him. John Lynch essentially said yesterday, this is going to be Kyle Shanahan's choice. So if Mac Jones is the choice, which I believe it will be, then it better hit because Kyle Shanahan 
is putting himself on the line with this pick. He's got three years to turn things around and prove that whatever quarterback, and again, I believe it's Mac Jones, was the right decision, coach him up, and get to at least the championship game with that quarterback. If not, he's going to be looked at as a lot of other coaches were looked at who are anointed too soon. And I do believe right now Kyle Shanahan is a coach that's been anointed too soon. The fourth pick is where the draft begins because it's the first non-quarterback taken. I believe that the Falcons are going to do two things on draft day. And I should say draft day meaning Thursday because the draft is a three-day process, we know. But I think not only are they going to draft Kyle Pitts at number four, the tight end from Florida, I think before the night is over, they're going to trade one of the greatest receivers in the history of the game, Julio Jones. It'll be a huge cap savings for them. They're not going to get a ton back for him, probably a second and a third. But somebody is going to get a receiver who's still got some gas left in the tank and is a an incredible addition. And I want you to think about this, especially if you're a Bills fan. What you look at is a team that maybe has multiple picks on the night. The team that possibly has the opportunity to move a few picks and not really hurt their draft. The Miami Dolphins have two second-round picks and a third-round pick. They could easily trade a second and a third, bring Julio Jones in, And all of a sudden, when they draft, you forget about the wide receiver position because you just added Julio Jones, or maybe you add, in addition to that, a a player. So I think that's something to keep an eye on. The Bengals going at number five, they got to give Joe Burrow a target. I think they go with the wide receiver, Jamar Chase, the kid from LSU, former college teammates hooked back up in the pros. Remember, with Jonah Williams and Brian Balaga, the tackle position is in pretty good shape for the Bengals. They can maybe address the interior of that offensive line in the second and third rounds and and strengthen it up there. But I think Joe Burrow gets his target at number five. Miami is at number six. Now, again, I just said, keep an eye on them with Julio Jones. That wouldn't surprise me if something happens there. Here's the other thing. I think at six, the Dolphins look at an opportunity to add more picks, especially if you're trading picks to get a guy like Julio Jones and slide down. And I think Denver is a team to keep an eye on sliding up to get Justin Fields at number six. Miami only goes down to nine. They're still going to be in position to get their guy. At seven, the Lions will take the other best receiver, and I think that's Jalen Waddell kid from Alabama who before he was hurt was spectacular. Devontae Smith ended up winning the Heisman, but because of size, if I'm choosing between the two, I like Waddle over Smith. The Panthers at eight, and this is really interesting. I think Matt Rule is going to do a very good job there, and I think he's going to be a head coach that we talk a lot about as being really smart and knows how to put a football team together. Yes, he brought in Sam Darnold. Darnold is a starter this year. So if Darnold's your starter and you can pick his fifth-year option up, you can afford to be patient with the quarterback you take. There's a project quarterback in this draft, and it's Trey Lance. Trey Lance 
has a ton of physical skills. He doesn't have the experience, especially against high-level competition. Having Sam Darnold as your starter allows you, if if you're the Panthers, to be patient with Trey Lance and develop him much like Patrick Mahomes when he came in with the Chiefs. And the reward will be that you've got all of these great physical skills and you've got the ability to coach him up before you put him on the field. I think that's a real good fit there. So I look for the Panthers to select the fifth quarterback of the top eight players. Now, I got to throw this out there, too. Five quarterbacks are going to be taken. Roughly two of these five will hit. If you look statistically from 2013 to 2019, I exclude 2020 because it's too soon to judge who's a hit and who's a miss. There were 19 quarterbacks taken in the first round from 2013, the E.J. Emanuel draft, to 2019, the Kyler Murray, Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins draft. Of those 19, seven are what I would consider hits. Kyler Murray. I'm giving Daniel Jones a hit because I think he's got big-time potential. Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, and I threw Teddy Bridgewater in there because he was a hit in Minnesota before the injury, played well last year in Carolina, and will be, I think, a starting quarterback in the league this year going forward. So 7 of 19, that's roughly 38%. That means two of the five guys drafted – Thursday night in the first round, and in my opinion, the top eight picks will be hits. The other three are going to be busts. And you think, well, that's crazy. They won't miss on that. Really? Blake Bortles, Johnny Manziel, E.J. Manuel, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, Jared Goff has been traded. Carson Wentz has been traded. Mitchell Trubisky is Josh Allen's backup in Buffalo this year. Josh Rosen's on his third team. Sam Darnold's been traded. So you start to – Dwayne Haskins is on another team already. You start to look at this, and it's, to me, pretty obvious that teams so overreach for a quarterback that they end up missing much more often than they hit. So even though five might go in the top ten, and like I said, in my opinion, five go in the top eight, I I think – Two of them will be hits. That That's a great benefit for the teams not selecting a quarterback. At nine, remember, in my little mock draft here that I'm doing, Miami traded down to nine. They get the tackle from Oregon, Panay Suell, who many people think could be a generational talent. So in my little scheme here, Miami adds Julio Jones via trade, replenishes the draft picks that they may have spent on Julio Jones by – trading back with Denver, Denver goes up and gets their quarterback. They get their left tackle, the Dolphins do, to protect Tua. So you give them Julio Jones and you give them a tackle, and all of a sudden that team is starting to look really, really good. Don't forget they have plenty more draft picks coming later in the draft. And then the Cowboys at 10, it's kind of ironic. The first defensive player taken in the draft, We'll go to the Cowboys, and and here's where, you know, you look at need the Cowboys need a defensive tackle. There aren't defensive tackles that should go close to here. 
They'll probably take a cornerback. I think Patrick Sertain, kid from Alabama. Christian Barrymore is the one defensive tackle with the skills to get to where he would be a first-round pick. May not happen because he's a guy who hasn't really exceeded expectations because of attitude and red flags. And, you know, there was a great clip going around this week by Nick Saban or with Nick Saban talking. And he talks about what the message he gives to his players about the NFL draft. And you could be two different types of players. You could either be an and player or a but player. And what he means by that is you give a description of the player, you know, wide receiver, he runs a 4-4, he high points the ball exceedingly well, great route runner, very disciplined, willing blocker. And then at the end of that description, you get one of two words, and. And or but are the two words. And he was the captain of the team. He's a 3.5 student, got his degree, did this, did that. The and are all the positives that go along with the football. Or you could be a but. But was arrested in a campus fight. But got kicked, got suspended for a positive drug test. But so you could be one of two types of players. And Christian Barrymore, the defensive tackle from Alabama, appears to be a but guy, not an and guy. So it's going to be interesting. These teams like Dallas that need defense, there really isn't that many guys to choose from outside of the cornerback position in this draft. It's going to be a very different draft. The league is obviously very offensive with the spread coming to college. The old adage, we can only take what college gives us. Well, college is giving you offense right now, giving you quarterbacks who can throw it. They're giving you wide receivers who can catch it, offensive linemen who can pass block and can't run block. It's a lot of work to be done by the coaching staff to get guys into this situation. The other thing about this draft that's really interesting, we'll see it as the night goes on. Apparently, without 2020, 2021, we're obviously very different as far as how we can evaluate players, get players. There was no combine this year. Therefore, the medicals that traditionally come out of the combine haven't come out as quickly so there's questions on guys' medicals. This draft, you haven't had the opportunity to sit down in person and get to know these players a little bit. So that's been an issue. I think there are going to be teams, especially at the back end of the first round, who end up trading out of the first round because they're not willing to take a risk on a player this year. And if they can get a first-round pick next year, when theoretically, of course, Things are back to normal and the process gets back to normal with the combine and visits and all the things that we're used to in the pre-draft process. I think you may see a couple teams move out of the first round for next year, getting into, into the first round next year when it's a much more traditional draft. Again, these are teams that are already pretty good at the end of the first round. You know, you saw Kansas City trade their first round pick to the Ravens for a tackle. Orlando Brown, again, safe. You're taking a guy you know what you're getting. 
as opposed to gambling on a first-round pick. So that brings us to the draft night decisions for the Buffalo Bills. And here's where Brandon Bean, in my opinion, has three choices on draft night. One, he could stay at 30 and take the best available player. The Bills are in an enviable position. They theoretically have their quarterback for the next dozen years or so. Maybe not dozen, but, you know, we can dream. Josh Allen is a very good young quarterback. He's going to get a contract extension, if not this offseason, the next offseason, and likely be compared to the greatest quarterback in Bills history, Jim Kelly. Of course, he's got four Super Bowls to get to before he will be Jim Kelly, but I think that's where we're looking with Josh Allen. So the Bills now have a very good team. They need depth. They need a tight end. They want a game-breaker at running back. But they can also sit at 30 and just see who's, who falls to them. Or they could target a player. And There's been rumors lately that they've targeted Travis Etienne, the very good running back from Clemson. I think the first running back off the board in this draft. Now there's the debate as to whether or not you ever take a running back in the first round. And I look at it this way. It used to be you didn't take safeties in the first round or you didn't take guards in the first round or centers. To me, you take the best football player in a situation to help your team. And if your team is bad, you take the best football player. If your team is good, you take the best football player at a position that you need help at. That's where the Bills are. And they need help at the running back position. There's no doubt. I also think the offensive line needs to do a better job in in run blocking to allow the running backs, whoever it is back there, to get a seam and, and be able to do things. But one of the things I read this week is they want a running back. They want a bell cow because on third and one with Josh Allen running the ball to get that first down, those are hits that Allen is taking that as his career goes on will add up. And you, you don't want your quarterback taking unnecessary hits. Allen's always going to take hits because he's always going to run here and there. He's going to get hit enough. Without designed runs, maybe you extend his ability a little bit longer. So it makes sense that the Bills would target running back. Travis Etienne is, is a heck of a back. He can catch the ball. He can, he's a game-breaker with his speed. I think it would make sense. I'm not a big trade-up guy, but Brandon Bean has been. If you look at what he's done, he's always willing to trade up. So that wouldn't surprise me. And then the, the third option, and this is one that I subscribe to wholeheartedly, is to trade down. Now, again, because the Bills have essentially their roster in place, by trading down, adding more picks, you could build depth for that team. So when the war of attrition takes place, whether it be through salary increases and you don't want to pay a guy, so you let him go, you've got somebody ready to step in, or somebody gets hurt, just building the depth in your program, trading down makes more sense. Now, A lot of what will solve Brandon Bean's question as to which to do is where the Bills think they are as a team. And I always think about 
there was a year when the Cowboys had a very good year. This is, I think, the 2010 season. They they ended up winning, I think, 11 games that year. The following year, I think they had 12 draft picks the next year. And I thought to myself, there's no way on a very good team you're going to draft 12 guys and they're going to all make it. So why not package those picks and get four or five guys who not only can make your team, but can make an impact on your team, as opposed to hopefully they make it. The draft ended up horribly for the Cowboys. A couple years later, none of the players selected in that draft were still on the roster. The team then also started to nosedive because the talent wasn't very good. The Bills are in that similar position. They don't have all those draft picks. But you can make the point that this team, you're not going to have 10 rookies make this team this year. Would you rather try to get 10 guys who can maybe make the team or four or five guys who not only will make the team but can make an impact on the team? And I think that's where Brandon Bean's motivation to possibly move up and get a specific player or two that he certainly is willing to overspend to get them. So if you look at that scenario, not only trading up potentially in the first round, but maybe in the second round as well. So you still get a cornerback that can start opposite Tredavious White and add depth to that defensive backfield. Levi Wallace, Dane Jackson certainly still there. But now all of a sudden, if you have a bona fide starter, those two guys become excellent depth at the quarterback position. You also then get the running back that you're hoping to get to eliminate the potential for Josh Allen taking hits. I think Brandon Bean has a chance to work this draft both up and back, get picks, get specific guys. I don't know that they'll go for Travis Etienne. Najee Harris, to me, would be the running back I would go for. I think the kid from Alabama is the best back. Javante Williams, the kid from North Carolina, is also an excellent prospect. Again, if I'm picking, I'd much rather have Harris. I think he's bigger back. I always like a bigger back with some speed. But, again, look at what Kansas City did last year in targeting Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. They were a polished team. They're a team that had a need at running back, and they made sure they got their guy. I'm not saying the Bills are finished a finished product like the Chiefs were, but I'm saying they're getting close to that, so it would make sense to me if this is what Brandon Bean thinks he needs to do. The other decision that the Bills need to make is a decision on Tremaine Edmonds and the fifth-year option decision. Tremaine Edmonds is a good player. He's very young, three years in the league. He has become a good middle linebacker. The Bills re-upping with Matt Milano this offseason, spending quite a bit of money to keep him in Buffalo. You add Tremaine Edmonds and Milano, that defense all of a sudden is going to step on the field in August ready to compete. The front seven needs to be better. I think where the front seven gets better is with the return of Star Latulule, who opted out last year. The improvement of Ed Oliver, 
in year three, the improvement of A.J. Appenenza in year two, giving them a little bit more of a boost. I think that's where the front seven can improve. But the question I have is, do you spend next year, not this year, next year, $12.7 million for Tremaine Edmonds? That's the fifth-year option. That's a lot of money to be spending at the linebacker position when you add in what Matt Milano just signed for this offseason. Most teams do not spend a ton of money on the linebacker position. The Bills would be one of the teams that spend the most money there. And frankly, I don't know if you're getting bang for your buck. But I think this, that with the new television money that's coming in next year, the salary cap's likely to go back up. This year it's down to about $182 million, and I think they're projecting next year, if fans are in the stands this year, it'll go up to $209 million. The Bills have a lot of money coming off the books after this year, and based on what's coming off and potential, a potential rise in the salary cap back to $209 million, those would have about $53 million in cap money. So them absorbing this $12.7 million year for Tremaine Edmonds is very doable. Is it prudent? I personally would not pick up Tremaine Edmonds' fifth-year option. I, I don't think he's worth that money. I think you could start over and draft another middle linebacker and get similar production that you get from Tremaine Edmonds. I don't see him as a middle linebacker, as somebody who's going to become great. He's a good player. I don't think he's a great player. I think there's something hesitant about him that prevents him from reading, reacting, and making the play all the time. Again, I'm not bashing Tremaine Edmonds. I'm just looking at it in the prism of, are you going to pay him in the top five of linebackers in the league, is he worth that? And I just don't think he is. Let somebody else decide that he's worth that and see if he becomes the player he was drafted to become. So far, he hasn't. He's been good, not great. You're selected in the top half of the first round, and he was 17, so it's basically the top half of the first round. You're not selected to be a good player. You're selected to be a great player. Tremaine Edmonds simply at this point has not become that. I do, however, expect the Bills to pick this up. The Bills are a team, and Sean McDermott, who he and Bean are tied at the hip. They're, they're in lockstep. He loves his defensive toys. This is another defensive toy that he's going to keep, in my opinion. He's going to keep that front seven growing, and I expect picks along that front seven in this draft Maybe not in the first round, but certainly there will be an edge rusher, a cornerback, uh, probably another linebacker. The draft is predominantly going to be on the defensive side of the ball. I expect the Bills to pick up Edmonds' option. In case you're wondering, Josh Allen's fifth-year option, it is a no-brainer. It will boost his salary to $23 million for the fifth year. What I think happens with Josh Allen is his fifth-year option gets picked up. I think they will announce that both fifth-year options get picked up at the same time. And when 
that happens when Allen gets his fifth-year option picked up, then contract negotiations really kick in going forward. And I think that the Bills, looking at the new television money, salary cap escalating, will get Josh Allen done before the start of training camp. I, I've said, I've gone on record, I think that they should wait till after this year, but I think that they will get it done this summer. And Josh Allen will have a whole lot of money coming his way over the next 10 years. So that's the football. The draft is going to be fun. One of my favorite events of the year. Love the theory of team building. I love how teams go about it. And I think it's going to be a great night to see back to normal. Again, we're not going to have the commissioner from his basement. It's going to be back to normal. And I think it's going to be really good, not only for the league, but for its fans. I want to talk a little NBA because something happened last night that a lot of people around here who are Knicks fans are disappointed about. The Knicks' nine-game winning streak has ended. Last night, the Phoenix Suns came into the Garden and, and won the game. And I, I got to say this about Phoenix first and foremost. I don't know who's better than them out West, and I don't know that they're the best team out West, but – Nobody wants to play the Phoenix Suns in the playoffs. They have three things that when you're talking about an NBA playoff game, it's it's exactly what you need. Let's start with Chris Paul. At 36 years old, he's playing some of the best basketball in his career. For a lot of his career, I didn't think Chris Paul got in shape the way he needed to to, to play at a high at the high level continuously, and he had dealt with a lot of injuries. I think Chris Paul has lost weight over the last couple of years. I think his play has even gotten better. And last night at crunch time, he hit three shots in a row to just, they were absolute daggers to take out the Knicks. Devin Booker's as good a scorer as there is in the league. He is a fantastic young talent in a playoff situation where you need a bucket. He's your guy. And, and that's a huge part of playoff basketball. And and then DeAndre Ayton, the, the young center out of Arizona, it gives them a defensive presence and an athletic presence in the middle that, again, we're talking about playoff basketball. It's different than the regular season. It's going to be a huge asset. So Phoenix is a very good team. They ended the Knicks' nine-game winning streak, and there is nothing for the Knicks to be ashamed of at all because this is a damn good Knicks team. And I – Look, for years I, I always laughed at Nick fans. We're gonna get we're gonna get LeBron, man. You what? I've taken my talents to South Beach. Oh, okay. Uh, we're gonna get Zion with the eighth pick. The Knicks select RJ Barrett. It, it's it's been a, a joke because the New York media builds up and they they started it with Zion last week. You know, in, in, in five years, Zion's coming to New York. Who cares about five years? Pay attention to this team this year. Look, James Dolan isn't even being a jackass this year. What have you heard from James Dolan this year? Literally nothing. He's kind of, for once in his miserable existence, found a way to shut the hell up. He's got a team that's fun to watch. These guys compete night in, night out. They've got an MVP candidate in Julius Randle. Randle, a guy I never understood why the Lakers let him walk as early as they did. Julius Randle, and there's a Rochester connection here. 
His trainer is Tyler Ralph, the former McQuaid star who played at St. Bonaventure in West Virginia. Tyler Ralph has worked with Julius Randle to the point where Julius is one of the leading candidates for the most valuable player. 23.9 points, 10.4 boards, 6 assists, playing the point forward position. He's just become a superstar in the league. He was an all-star this year, deserved to be. He is the focal point of the offense. R.J. Barrett, the kid who, the other Duke kid who was at Zion, is averaging 17.5 points per game this year. He's shown great improvement in year two, and he's going to be a solid piece of this puzzle as we go on. You had Reggie Bullock to that, and he's become a very good player, and there are veterans that they've added, like Derrick Rose has come in and been a steadying influence. But what the Knicks have done is they brought in a coach who is a no BS coach in Tom Thibodeau. He demands you play defense. He gets after his guys. But this team has bought in, and the results are there. They're fourth in the East. They're ahead of the Celtics. You know, the Celtics are all, we hear about Celtic pride all the time and how great Jason Tatum is as a young player. The Celtics are behind the Knicks in the standings. You look at the talent on the Celtics versus the talent on the Knicks, and I think you would pick the Celtics every time. Yet, if the two of these teams end up somehow in the playoffs, I think the Knicks beat them. I think the Knicks play harder, and because of that, and they're willing to do the little things and, and the dirty work that you need to do to win basketball games. I think the Knicks are a team that going forward, you're going to be very happy you've chosen that team. So it's it's really, really good for the league to have the Knicks being the team. Look, they're such a laughing stock. Kevin Durant went to New York to play, and he didn't choose the Knicks. He chose, he chose Brooklyn. How big a slap in the face is that for the Knicks and, you know, the mecca of basketball? They're playing in Brooklyn in a, in a beautiful new arena that's terrible to watch games in. I hate the court in Brooklyn. I'd much rather watch games in Madison Square Garden. Even though the arena in Brooklyn's a better arena, it's not the garden. The garden, I hope fans continue, more and more fans are continued to be allowed in. Because in the playoffs this year, garden's going to be rocking. This Knicks team... It's going to be rocking. It's going to be fun to see. The Knicks are so good that I can't even bash James Dolan today. And believe me, that's one of my favorite pastimes. So props to the Knicks for being good. Major League Baseball has had an interesting week. Let me start with the bad because last night was another bad night for replay in MLB. Last night, the Rays and A's played – Jerickson, Profar, play at the plate, called out. Replay showed clearly that Profar was safe. They challenge. Replay upheld the call on, on the field. I, I just can't comprehend it. Bob Melvin ended up getting run 
because if you argue with a call from replay, you automatically get run. But if you've seen this play, there is no doubt. I can see, again, I said this last week. You can see why you miss it live. There's no excuse for missing it on replay. The Yankees had a replay situation last night. In the eighth inning, they're losing to the Orioles. And bases loaded, base hit to left field. Aaron Judge is trying to go first to third. Two runs are going to score. Judge gets thrown out at third base. Just before Gio Urshela touches home plate with the second run. Would have made it a 4-3 game going to the ninth inning. The Yankees decide to challenge too late. Now, there's a couple things at work here. First, the Yankees have a challenge. It's the eighth inning. It's a a run that's going to pull you within one. You challenge that play. And in baseball, every element of a play that's challenged, if you challenge one thing, you could challenge another. So you're not challenging whether or not Judge is safe at home. You're challenging whether or not the run should have counted. The replay I saw was inconclusive, in my opinion. Of course, you listen to Michael Kay and David Cohn. The guy was safe by a mile. David Cohn actually said something I thought was ludicrous. He's like, the umpire hasn't even started to make a call yet. How can you say that the run didn't, didn't, score before that when the umpire hasn't even made the call it's not when the umpire makes the call david it's when the guy's out or safe if he touches the base he's safe therefore the run would count if he's tagged out before he touches the plate run doesn't count it's got nothing to do with the umpire starting his call which is always after the play happened It was just ludicrous. And again, I found it interesting that Aaron Boone, after the game, said he didn't feel the run would have counted anyway. Of course, the Yankee announcers thought it was clear as day. I thought it would have been inconclusive based on the replay that they were showing to overturn the call on the field. But what happened was the Yankees took too long, which I don't really think they did, took too long to announce the challenge. It was all pretty quick that it happened. In in my opinion, Aaron Boone made a mistake by not just challenging the play. It's the eighth inning. It's a play that you got to challenge. You don't need to look at the film. Yeah, challenge it. Just challenge it. It's a huge play in the game in the eighth inning. What are you saving your challenge for if you don't use it then? But I thought that the umpires not allowing the Yankees to challenge was ludicrous. Why wouldn't you let them challenge it at that point? Again, it's a huge play in the game. Give them an extra second or two to allow them to challenge the play. Even though the Yankees didn't execute it properly, in my opinion, Major League Baseball and the umpires didn't execute it properly either. It's such a big play. You've got to be patient and allow the team to challenge. They did not. They just got on. You got a flight to catch, dinner reservation. This is a huge play in the game. 
it should have been challenged. It should have been allowed to be challenged. It wasn't. Aaron Boone got thrown out. Now, all that said, what's lost in all of this is what a horrific base running play it was by Aaron Judge. Going first to third is fine as long as you make it. And you better make it. Old baseball adage, never. The word never is the start of it. Never make the first or last out of an inning at third base. Aaron Judge did that in the eighth inning of what would be a one-run game by him making that out. Horrible base running, horrible baseball play by Aaron Judge. Cost his team an opportunity to win the game. Just bad baseball. And, and that's what losing teams, like the Yankees are right now, do. Aaron Judge is an interesting player because he's got great ability when healthy. Unfortunately, we don't see it often enough. Can't wait to see what the Yankees do with Aaron Judge. There have been whispers this week that they had explored trade opportunities for him. Do you sign Aaron Judge? Personally, I don't think you can because he's going to get a ton of money, and I don't think he's worth it. And you've already got one contract that's untradeable on that team in Giancarlo Stanton. Aaron Judge, I'm not saying he could become an untradeable contract, but a few years back, the player that Aaron Judge is now was the player that Giancarlo Stanton was in Miami. And that's why he got that contract. Actually, Stanton was a better player than Judge is now. So I'm very curious to see what the Yankees do for that. This weekend, we were treated to some great baseball. In my opinion, it was great baseball and great theater. The Padres and Dodgers going at it, I thought was fantastic. Fernando Tatis Jr. hitting five home runs in Dodgers Stadium dancing his way around the bases. You know, when you hit a home run off of Trevor Bauer and you mimic him, you wonder how Bauer's going to react. Because Trevor Bauer's a guy who's going to let you know what he thinks. Well, listen to Trevor Bauer, and you might be surprised. Now, I want to I say something about that, because I think it's important. Um... Yeah, he did it in the first. I didn't see it because I was paying attention to doing my job. And then he did it again when he homered off me again later in the game. Their dugout was doing it. Um, and I, I like it. I, I think that pitchers who have that done to them and react by throwing at people or, you know, getting upset and hitting people or whatever, I think, uh, I think it's pretty soft. Um, if you give up a homer, a guy should celebrate it, you know. He... It's hard to hit in the big leagues. Uh, so I'm all for it, and I think it's it's important that, you know, the game moves in that direction and we stop throwing at people because they celebrated having some success on the field. Trevor Bauer is, is one of us. He enjoys what he sees out of hitters, and it is – Really good to watch a guy having a good time. If you've ever watched the Caribbean World Series, players showboat and dance and have a good time all the time. Nobody's offended by it. It's part of the game. Pitchers showboat when they strike somebody out. Part of the game. Everyone just deals with it. 
It's not about the unwritten rules. It's about just playing the game and having a good time. I, I personally love it. I, I really do. I think if you give up a bomb, well, too bad. You want a bat flip? Have at it. I want to strike you out and, and, and fist pump after I strike you out or yell or do a Conor McGregor walk back to the dugout. Have at it. Add some fun to the game of baseball. It's what it's about. And, and frankly, these two teams put on a show this weekend. Now, the question is, is it good for baseball? You've got two of the best teams in baseball being from Southern California, and it's great for the West Coast. But is it good? Is our regional rivalries good for baseball? I personally think yes. I think Yankees-Red Sox, when they're both good, is a great rivalry, and it's good for baseball. Dodgers-Padres, Dodgers-Giants, good for baseball. Regional rivalries can be very good for baseball if it's played, if the, if the game is played well. And I think that's the case here. You've got two really good teams playing really good baseball. I, I don't care where they're from. I'm going to tune in because it's fun to watch. We hear too often that regional rivalries are not good for baseball because it only showcases a part of the country and the rest of the country won't tune in. I, I don't understand that. Just because my team isn't playing doesn't mean I'm not going to watch. I'll watch if it's good, and this certainly is good. One other baseball thing that's got to be discussed, Madison Bumgarner in a doubleheader, and of course doubleheaders are seven-inning games, didn't allow a hit in that seven-inning game. Now, if you notice how I said that, I didn't say through a no-hitter. Because according to Major League Baseball, it's not a no-hitter. A scheduled seven-inning game with the pitcher allowing no hits is not a, not an official no-hitter, which to me is a bunch of crap. Major League Baseball instituted these seven-inning double-header rules. They've got the farce of extra innings with a guy on second base. A pitcher is going to get a loss from a guy starting on second base. That loss goes against his record. The run that scored, the guy gets credit for that. The RBI, you get credit for that. All of these other statistics and gimmick baseball count. Why would a 7-inning no-hitter not count? Now, you're creating these gimmicks to, quote-unquote, better the game, which you're not. It's actually making the game worse, but that's just my opinion. You, Major League Baseball created the seven-inning doubleheader rule. They told both teams, you're playing seven innings twice today. Madison Bumgarner went out and pitched every inning of the game and didn't allow a hit. If that's not a no-hitter, I don't understand why. It's ludicrous to think that all of the other statistics from a game that's shortened by the league count fully – yeah, a no-hitter doesn't count. How do we pick and choose that, Rob Manfred? My God, this guy is just clueless. And his negative impact that he has on baseball is absolutely ridiculous. Mad Bump threw a no-hitter. It was only seven innings. Big freaking deal. Congrats, Mad Bump, on your no-hitter. It is a no-hitter. Get rid of these gimmick rules 
and we won't have these stupid discussions. But until Major League Baseball gets their head out of their collective ass, it's not going to happen. We need to get baseball back to where it should be. And where it should be is allowing teams to play extra innings, not having seven inning no hit or double headers. Just play baseball. Baseball didn't want 162 games this year. They tried very hard to not let that happen. Fortunately, it did happen. And right now, baseball's been pretty interesting so far in spite of the gimmick rules established this year. Okay. I think I feel better now. Hey, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. We'll see what happens with the draft and everything else in the world of sports. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast.